Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 6. If you don't have your own Bible with you, our ushers have Bibles that you can use. If you simply raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use for our service this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Please follow along with me as I read aloud Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they, <clears throat> they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be here. They think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you, your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your feet, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God guide our hearts and thinking in his word. Would you please remain standing as we bow together in the word of prayer? We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for a busy week um, where you gave so much help from your people. It was a week where we could see your love through your people. We thank you for the ministry to the Dick family during this week. We continue to pray for them as they mourn the loss of Bonnie and rejoice in her place now in heaven. We pray that you'll just continue to minister to them your strength and your comfort. We thank you for all the preparation that was done uh, for the funeral service and for hosting here at the church. Lord, I think of those who, who helped out in setting up the church and cleaning the church and getting it ready. For those who prepared refreshments and served those and cleaned up afterwards. For those who were faithful in the music ministry, playing during the prelude or playing during the service itself, we thank you for each one of them. I think of individuals like uh, my wife Donna and her mom Jackie who helped in refreshments and cleaning, for Heidi, Chantel, and Brian for their music help, for Charmone for writing the program and printing that out, for Michelle for work on the bulletin board. We thank you for that. We thank you for all who had a part in, in every part, who greeted the guests who were here and made them feel welcome and engage with them to, to speak and to bring comfort to them. Lord, we thank you for so many who worked on the workday on Saturday, the evangelism before the workday, the choir practice and band practice before that, some who were here early and all day. I think of Brother Willie Wallace who helped get the grounds ready for the funeral, was here early that morning to pick up and do things like that, and then again on Saturday to help in, in all the work that was involved there. And so many men who were there to help, and ladies too who helped inside, men who helped outside. We thank you for each one of them. And so, Lord, thank you for the willingness of your people to work together, to share, to labor, for, for the sake of others uh, being able to come and be here and serve and worship or be under the ministry of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage um, many others to come to be a part in the various places that they can serve and work and to work faithfully. And we pray that you be glorified in that work. Bless the preaching of your word today, Lord. Clear our hearts and minds as we hear your word, as we participate in communion today, our meetings afterwards, all that we do, that it might bring glory to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. been a busy week for us here in ministry here, but I love to see how God's people serve and serve each other as they serve the Lord. Continue to pray for the Dick family, for Bill. I thank God for you, Bill. You are faithful in serving the Lord, regardless of what you're going through. You were here two weeks ago, and Bonnie was still alive, and serving here after, after she passed away that Friday. You were here that Sunday as well, and you're here today. That's not unusual. That's the norm. He is faithful in serving the Lord, and so we want to just continue in prayer for him and for the entire family as they deal with the
the challenges before them. In our series now in Matthew, I do want to say thank you for, for Brian for speaking on Sunday and uh, serving in that capacity. It's always a joy to hear God's word being spoken and so faithfully done. Praise God for that. Our series now continues in Matthew chapter 6, and this is part of Jesus' sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He had gathered the crowds together. And the topic here is the kingdom, how to prepare for the kingdom and what the qualities, or the characteristics are of those who are in the kingdom or are kingdom bound. He starts off in chapter 6 here um, by mentioning several things. He says, beware. Notice the beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He doesn't say that we shouldn't practice righteousness before other people because in the chapter before, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we ought to be doing things that people can see and they need to see our good works. But here the caution here is not beware of people seeing you. Beware of your motives in them seeing you. Look so many times in this text where he gives this idea of motive. He says the key word in verse 1 is in order. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order. So that they might, that inward motive is so they'll see you and praise you. Don't do it for that motive. In verse 2, he says again, that they may be praised by others. In verse 5, again, he says this, that they may be seen by others. In other words, this is inappropriate when we do things for the attention of others, for them to praise, for them to see and to think highly of us. Verse 7. You pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's a, that's a strange phrase to me. Individuals actually think they're going to impress God with their words. That if they say it a certain way, God's going to hear their prayers. He'll be impressed. Well, the, the other thing that flows through this first section in this text is this idea that God sees in secret and will reward in secret. In other words, God knows what's going on behind the scenes. Behind the scenes of our action, he knows what's going on in our heart. The other thought that's being taught here is wrong motive negates right action. We can do the right thing with the wrong motive and God will not reward that right thing done when it's done with the wrong heart, with the wrong motive. This reminds me of scripture in the Old Testament. I want to look at two verses. They both have to do with David. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, 14, when David was being selected by God, he had sent Samuel there um, to choose David out. Even while he was dealing with Saul's wrong heart, he says in this passage, 1 Samuel 13, 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. This is what the Lord is saying through Samuel to Saul, who's king. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That key phrase there for me is after his own heart. God is seeking someone who has a right heart, who shares the type of heart that God has. 
that has a kind of motivation and motive in their heart. That's what God is looking at. He sees the heart. The other verse is in Samuel, 1 Samuel as well, chapter 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So in Matthew 6, when it says God sees in secret, it's talking about God sees those things that nobody else can see. God knows your thoughts. God knows your heart. God knows your motives. So don't try to do something as if you, in other words, you can, feel, you can fool others, but you can't fool God. He sees what's behind that. So you may as well be genuine with God. Now, some, some people, I remember, uh, 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 have, have kind of had the attitude when they hear me say that or they seek that in God's word. They say, well, pastor, that's why I'm not doing that because I didn't have the right attitude. God didn't say stop doing it. He says don't do it with the wrong attitude. In other words, get your attitude right and do what's right. Get your heart right and then do what God has asked you to do. Don't just stop doing it with the excuse, well, I wasn't doing it with the right attitude, so I just stopped doing it altogether. Here are a couple things that I want you to notice in this first part. And in fact, the whole chapter is really geared towards this. In fact, we've been touching on this in, in, uh, in several of our Sunday school classes. I've been able to listen in a little bit. God is focusing not on the seen, the visible, but on that unseen, that heart behind the action. And Jesus is teaching towards that. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you do whatever you do, don't do it for the applaud, applause, the praise of others. Don't do it to be seen. Do it to honor God. Do it with a right heart. Now notice what he says. In, in several of these instances, he says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have, your re then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. In other words, God won't reward that that's done with the wrong motive. And then he says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, they won't be rewarded by God. The only reward they will get is what they get from that praise that they get from other people. So in this, he is saying this. Do things that impress God and not simply things that impress others or are seen or praised by others. Do things to be praised and admired by God. Yes, we should, in fact, seek to do things that please God and that he will praise and he will admire. It's like the little child that runs to mom and says, Mom, did you see what I just drew? Wants mom to praise. Well, we as the children of God, we should say to God, Look what I did. I offered to you. What do you say? Do you like what your little boy did? That should, in fact, be our attitude. To want to please God. In fact, do things that impress him, please him, and are praised by him. Do things to be rewarded by God. Yes, we, it's, it's okay to have a, a motivation that I'm doing this, that God might reward me. That's a good thing. That's a good motivation, to be rewarded by God. By the, by the way, it's also a good thing not to do things that will be punished by God. In other words, you might say, well, you know, I, I really want to do this, and the only reason I'm not doing this is because God will punish me. Well, that's not a real good reason or heart. Yes, it is. In fact, that's very wise. 
people say, well, you know, you shouldn't challenge people, unsaved people, with the truth of hell because you might scare them into heaven, and you don't want to scare anybody. If I could scare everybody into heaven, I would. The fact is, it doesn't work that way. Their simple hearts don't have the fear of God in them in the first place, and so that isn't how they're they will respond positively. But the truth is, when we see how Jesus presents, in fact, last chapter, in chapter 5, several times he talks about hell as a, as a punishment, as something to be leery of and to stay away from. So doing things for God's reward is a good thing to do. Next thing we see in this section is pray with a focus on God being influenced by his desire and praise and not the desire and praise of others. He says a lot in here about prayer. Uh, first of all, in all our communication, we are to be simple, straightforward, and direct. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites in verse 5. He says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Secondly, in verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's saying our prayer ought to be focused towards God. It ought to be simple. It ought to be straightforward. Really, all our communication ought to be that way. Did you notice that being taught in chapter 5? Look at verse 37 of chapter 5. He says this. We talk about taking oath or promising to do something. In other words, we, we make big talk with our mouths that we can't back up with our action. Verse 37, he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Yet your, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Be clear, precise, not ambiguous about what you're saying. Speak up. <laughs> Say it like it is, is what he's saying. And so our prayers should be honest, straightforward, to the point. Then he teaches us how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, pray like this. He says, acknowledge God as personal and a relationship with him. Our Father in heaven. Acknowledge him as personal. Uh, acknowledge him as a father who's protective, who is powerful, who's worthy of praise. Ask for things that bring honor to him. Promote his purpose and follow his will. In other words, ask yourself, am I asking for this in order to pursue my desire or am I asking for this request to pursue God's purpose? What am I going to do when God answers my prayer? I've seen people ask for things. Pastor, I'm praying for a new job. I'm praying that I be well, be healed. And when they get healed, they got so much energy to do all the stuff they want to do, they have no time to come back and serve God. When they get that new job, they're so busy working it and spending money from it, they have no time to honor God with their money or with their time. Ask yourself, am I asking this for my purpose or for God's purpose? Notice Jesus said, look, pray this way. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In other words, the things we pray for is to promote God's purpose. We, we, we recognize and we acknowledge that God is sovereign. He's the one that, that has uh, uh, all rule and that we ought to submit to his will. In other words, a prayer is not, God is not a genie in a bottle to do your whim. We are to ask him, what do you want me to do according to your purpose? What, what, what is my purpose in life? And how do I fulfill that? 
And then ask according to that purpose. Lord, you gave me this responsibility. I'm a father. Help me fulfill that responsibility as a father. Lord, you gave me a responsibility to care for these things. Give me the, the heart. Give me the resources I need to care for the things that you've given me to care for. Then he said, ask simply for the things you need. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, ask in faith and ask faithfully every day and ask with a mind of faith that if God gives me today what I need when tomorrow comes, I'll ask him again, he'll give me that. I'm looking for him to be a loving, faithful father, which he is, and I'm dependent on that. Now, I'm not trying to hoard up everything I got right now. I'm walking by faith. God, give us this day what we need. We can carry on. And then he says, ask for that thing you desperately need, and that is for his forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins. And then seek to extend the grace that he gives to you to others that you interact with. In fact, he puts a condition on this. If you don't forgive others of their sin towards you, God will not forgive you of your sin towards him. That's a huge statement. So summarizing, he says, ask for those things that promote God's purpose, his will in your life. And ask um, with his attitude that you are walking in obedience to him. You're going to, you're going to um, forgive others who have wronged you as well. He includes fasting um, in, this, in this list. He talks about fasting so that we don't do it to impress others, but we do it with the right motive. He doesn't command us to fast in this passage. He doesn't tell us not to fast either, but he says if you're going to fast, then to do that for God's glory and for his purpose. Do that because you want to honor him in what it is you're doing. Let's get to the next section, verses 19 and on. Talk about laying up treasure. I think this is all connected. It is definitely all connected. God wants us to focus in our lives on his purpose and on his glory. It's amazing. We live our lives so often blind to God who created us and called us into his service, into, into his work, into his ministry. And we can, we can pray that way and we can live that way. He says, no, I want you to live all of your life with a renewed focus on me. So in this section, when he talks about laying your treasure up in heaven, he's saying, keep your focus where it belongs. Be single-minded and committed in your focus to God. Amen? We are to pursue the eternal, not simply the transient. Keep a mind with what really matters in life. So he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, Make sure that your investments are invested with what matters most. What are our investments? Well, I always use these three T's to speak of our investments. It's our time, it's our talent, and it's our treasure. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your energy? And where are you spending your money? 
That's the thing that you have, are most invested in. Take a look at your life and make sure that you're investing in those things that mean most. In other words, the eternal and not just the transient, the things that won't be around much longer. God knows that there are things that we need in our life that we just need continually. We're going to need to eat every day. We need to be clothed every day. We need to have some place to stay. And I know my house is not going to last forever. You know that as well. So we have to invest some of our time, some of our talent, some of our treasure in those things. But make sure that that doesn't consume all of your investment because that's going to pass away. Make sure that you intentionally then discipline yourself so you do what you have to do for this life, but you've invested, you, you made your investment in the things in the life to come. In other words, kingdom investments. What does that look like? It means to direct our investment. Direct, in other words, intentionally steer your time, intentionally steer your efforts, intentionally steer your money towards things that are of kingdom value. Don't just do it by accident. I saw on the board some of the notes from the Second Corinthians passage, and they're going through this giving now, and it ought to be intentional, right? It's not all to, it, not, it ought to be planned, not just something random like, oh, what do I got in my pocket now? I guess I'll give that to the Lord. No, the government never accepts that. God doesn't accept it either. He says, give some thought into it that you have planned to invest your time, your energy, your funds in things that are eternal. When we ask for volunteers for different things in the church, we have no shame in asking that. Like, oh, wow, you know, I know people are so busy. They got their own lives. They do their own things. They couldn't possibly give anything for the summer camp that's coming up. They couldn't possibly do anything for the work here that needs to be done. Those are things of eternal value because they assist us in getting God's word out and being a testimony for eternity. You do well to make sure that you give time for that, even if you've got to steal it from somewhere else. Give time to God. Take your investment and steer them, direct them to what God values. We have to train ourselves to do that. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by us doing That's why I use the word direct. Direct means to be disciplined, to give direction, to, to point your time, to purpose your time, your talent, and your treasure. How do you do that? He says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, recognize that if you invest in something, your heart goes along with it. You start paying attention to that. You start caring about that. That's how you can direct your investment in eternal things to make sure, first of all, put, put, it, put it on that. When you spend your time, when you spend your talent, your abilities. I saw the men working yesterday and, and our ladies inside, and they had taken out time on their Saturday early morning or Saturday afternoon to do some of the things that needed to get done around here. Praise God for that. They had, I'm sure each one of us had other things that we could have done during that time. But you decided, I'm going to devote my time, my my, my, my energy that I have today to this task, 
You had to do that. You had to get up in the morning. You probably a week before decided to do that. Then you had to get up in the morning with that in mind. You may have had to go to bed with that in mind to so make sure that I get plenty of rest so that I can devote myself. You see what I'm saying? It, 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 it takes a commitment, and it, it takes a decision that you have to make. Look at the next thing he talks about here, verse 22. He says, the eye, the eye is a lamp of the body. He hasn't changed the subject. He's talking about the same thing here. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your body is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He's saying here, your eye has the ability to direct your whole body. So if you discipline your eyes, you can, in fact, discipline your whole body. In other words, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is going to fall in line with that. Train your eye to be healthy. In other words, we're talking about what you focus on, your eye. Your eye is, is speaking of your focus. Train your focus so your whole life will be built around that. I wonder why, for some of us, it's so hard to get here on time, and we think, you know, I got these responsibilities. Then I look at families who have four kids, both parents working full-time jobs, and sometimes working shifts that are just crazy, and yet they get here right on time. And they're involved in so many things, and then you got other folks who maybe don't have as many kids or no kids at all say, I just can't find the time. How does that happen? Or, brother, you, you, you late. Well, at least, you know, <laughs> we get all huffy because we, we expect you to commit yourself to being on time. And we use the excuses. But it shows that what we have to do is direct our time. He says the eye is the lamp of the whole body. So if you learn to focus, in other words, discipline your focus, on the things of God, your whole life will fall in line with it. Let me give you a little example. Train your eye to be healthy. There, this is the idea, I, I, I call it this. Sometimes you have to look at something in order to look away from something. You have to focus your attention on something. In other words, to not focus on something else. That comes in, in many instances, okay? In the summertime, men... Amen. You know where I'm going. There's this woman walking down the street, and, and she's dressed provocatively. My eye naturally, and your eye does too, don't lie. My eye naturally goes to that. But when I'm driving, I taught my eyes to scan and look. But uh-oh, my eye caught that, right? They say, don't stare, right? How are you going to stop staring? You better train your eye to look away and look at something else, to focus on something else. In order, in order to look away, you got to look at. You've got to be focused on it. Now, when my wife is in the car with me, it's real easy, isn't it? Because I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me, Right? But when she ain't there, I've got to focus, right? And we all have to do that. I ride a motorcycle, and one of the things, well, actually, it's the same true for cars. We have a lot of potholes in the city, and a lot of times when you're riding behind someone in a car, they got wheels on both sides of their vehicle, and you're riding in the middle, and so you're straddling them. If they, if they ride over something that's big that their car can ride over, you'd ride in line for it. Like if they miss a pothole because they, they straddled it, your motorcycle is coming right for that pothole. And so you have a split second to avoid that pothole. How do you do it? Uh, I understood this truth from, 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 from learning how to drive uh, properly, is that the, the temptation is, oh, no, a pothole, and I can't stop looking away from it. And guess what? What I look at, I'm going to hit. What I aim for, I'm going to hit. So if I, oh no, Apollo, I'm looking at, I'm sure enough going to hit it. 
What do I have to do? I have to train my eye to look the direction that I need to go to avoid that pothole. When I get my eyes off of the pothole, the thing that I need to stay away from, the trouble that's sitting there for me, and look the direction I need to go, and I quickly I can avoid that pothole. It's, it's, it's like when you're riding a bike. It's almost, it, it's, your bike just kind of follows you. Look this way, and it goes this way. But if I'm looking at that pothole, it's going to go that way. You direct your focus. You direct your whole direction. Your eye is the lamp of your whole life. Learn to focus on right things. You will also learn to avoid things. You're in church today because there's other places you don't need to be. Or last night you shouldn't have been because you needed to be getting ready to be in church. So you set your focus. Look, I ain't going out because I got to wake up in the morning and I got to see myself in church. I set my eyes, I set my focus on the thing that I need to be at so that I can avoid the things that I don't need to be at. People ask me, man, have you been to Juneteenth? Have you been to Summerfest? I ain't been to Juneteenth or Summerfest in 40 years. I'm sure some good things at both of those. But I direct my eye towards the things I need to do so I don't get caught up in the stuff that can be trouble for me. That's what he means when he says the eye is the lamp of the body. Make sure your eye, in other words, not, it's not talking about physical eye. It's talking about your focus in life. Set your focus where it needs to be and your life will follow. Your life will follow. Folks who got to work in the morning don't stay out all night. They got other stuff to do. They have set a focus that steers them in the right direction. Then he ends this section with don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Again, it has to do with our focus. What's our priority? Anxiety reflects two things. It reflects our purpose and our source. What we look at as our purpose and what we look at as our source. If I pursue my own purpose and I'm relying on my own self as my source, I'm liable to have high anxiety. Let me give you four short scenarios. If we pursue our purpose and ask for God's provision, then we're, we're treating God like a genie in a bottle. God, I want this. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And I'm going to be anxious in some ways about is God going to give me the stuff I want? The stuff I want. It's my purpose. Here's what I want to do. I'm asking God for it. Second scenario. We pursue God's purpose, but, but try to provide our own resources. God, I want you. I, I, you want people to come into faith. And I'm going to try to make that happen myself. Well, I'm liable to have much anxiety there as well. Or if we pursue our own purpose and try to fund it through our own resources, we talked about that. The last one is we pursue God's purpose and rely fully on his resources. This is what Jesus is talking about in verse 33 when he says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's saying, 
set your focus, set your purpose towards God and what he desires. In fact, the whole chapter unfolds like that. He says, stop doing stuff to be impressive to other people and set your focus on pleasing God. Don't pray in a way that others applaud you or look up to you, but seek to please God. Don't do things before other people seeking their praise. He's saying, and lay up the treasures, don't lay them up, don't, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. He's saying, set your focus and your desire on the things of God. And let that be your focus. And then the last part he's saying, when you do that, God knows the things that you need. He's not ignorant. He knows you got to eat. He knows you need a job. He, he, he knows those things that you absolutely need. He made you with those needs. Now, anxiety is, is ma managed when we learn to rely on him for those things he knows we need. That's like a little child being anxious over whether mama's going to give him a bottle or not. When you have a good mama, <laughs> she knows exactly what you need is going to give you that at the right moment. No doubt about it. No sense in standing anxiety over that. So it says, Make sure that you set your focus on God's kingdom. And then, that's not all, then trust God every step of the way. Now, let me talk to seasoned Christians for a while. You're not past anxiety, are you? You know that. Because we are tempted every day to take our eyes off of God as our resource and to say either God do it or won't do it and to worry about that. And what we need to do, look what, look what Jesus says. He says this, therefore, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He said, look, trouble is coming your way. You can guarantee that. In other words, if you are trying to live an anxiety-free, people call it stress, a stress-free life, you're in the wrong life. There ain't no such job that has no stress. The stress is there to call you to trust in God. We want God to put us in a special circumstance where we never have to have any reliance on him. that's not going to happen until I bring you into perfect reliance on me and we enjoy heaven together. So he says two things. Set your focus and your purpose towards God and practice. It's not something you do once and you're done. Practice reliance on God. The Bible and other places say we walk by faith, not by sight. It's a daily walk of relying on God. Didn't just Jesus mirror that in his prayer? He says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, how does God feed the birds? He feeds them every day, and they don't have to worry. But what do they do? They go out in the field, and they're steady pecking at the ground, grabbing stuff that they need. In other words, they're not sitting down doing nothing and waiting for God to just pluck, pluck it in their mouth. They go out and do what God calls them to do every day, and God feeds them through that process. It's, it, in other words, it's an everyday walk. It's a continual walk with the Lord. And so I think this is what this chapter is unfolding, to set our focus on God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the things your father knows you need, he knows you want, he brings them in his own way, in his own timing, and they're not going to all be perfect for you because you're not in heaven yet, but you can still trust God. In fact, you must, in fact, trust God. That's what living the kingdom life is about, is fully trusting God.
God, if I get sick and go to the hospital, hey, I still trust you. Never the psalmist say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no even why, because nothing can happen to me. No, because no matter what happens to me, God is with me. That's the trust department. We want to pray, Lord, take this away, take that away, take everything away, make it all perfect. God says, just watch me deal with it. I will empower you to go through the crisis, to go through the challenge. I will give you what you need to meet your needs in the challenge. We say, no, God, I don't want that. I want you to just take the challenge away. Paul tried that three times, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three times he prayed, God, take this away. God said, no, no, and no. Because you're going to learn to rely on me. That's what I'm teaching you, to rely on me daily for the things that you need from me. Rely on me. Set your focus towards me and rely on me. That's what God is calling us to do. Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word today. Lord, it's a continual challenge for us. We'll walk away from here today and find ourselves with our eyes off focus again. But you'll remind us to set our eyes back on focus and rely on you. It's a continual walk. So help us in this walk. We right now devote ourselves to asking for your help, to relying on you, to trusting in you in that moment, Lord. We thank you for how richly you have provided an example of trust. The thing we needed most, we could not provide for ourselves. The forgiveness of sins and eternal life has come through your son. He did it all for us and extends that to us. And you, you not just woke us out of our slumber, you brought us from death to cause us to come to life, to see your truth and to respond to it. You did all that so we can trust you for any and everything in our life. We are learning that, Lord. We don't have it all down. But we want to be faithful as we go through this process. Bless those who pray that way, Lord, and challenge those who don't. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we end our service, we have communion. I'm going to ask our leader team to come to assist with communion.